Lights, and you're listening to P.S. Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder, and welcome to another installment of the History of Synth Pop. We've arrived at episode number four in our special series here, and we left off with the uh, Buggles and uh, Joy Division, and uh, we're going to kind of move our way into the 80s, and we're going to stay mostly in Europe, and I will explain why as we go along. We're going to hear from uh, one American band at the end of all this. And then we have a song of the week from a Canadian band who started off in the 90s, and uh, they're still together. We'll get uh, more from them in a little bit. That's Wild Strawberries if you're scoring along at home, and we hope you are tonight. All right, so we're going to start with... uh, We're at 79 is where we left off, kind of 80-ish, with episode 3. Episode 4 starts with 1980. Uh, Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark seem to be having the most success uh, of the synth-pop bands, with the possible exception of Mr. Gary Newman, who they tour with. They support Gary Newman on one of his tours, become great friends with him. Indeed, Gary Newman's mom ironed Paul and Andy's shirts uh, on the tour. I guess uh, Gary's mom came along with him on tour. Uh, in fact, there's a, a interview they show in the Synth Britannia a documentary I was telling you about where uh, Gary explains that his mom does his makeup and, and did his hair and stuff like that. So uh, thanks, mom. So anyway, um, another fun thing about this song, Anola Gay, it's uh, probably one of OMD's best known tracks. I was on a, a YouTube interview show with the guy that runs the uh, Facebook page for the OMD fans, uh, Neil Taylor. And uh, he was asking me, you know, how being a, what it's like being an OMD fan in the United States. And I said, well, you know, obviously you say your favorite band is OMD and people say, who is that? And you sing If You Leave and they say, oh, yeah, of course I know that song. And then they look at you blankly and say, they have other songs. And he told me in the UK, it's you say you like OMD and people say, who is that? And then you, which shocks me. And then you, you sing Anola Gay and they're like, oh, yeah, that, which is odd because OMD had a top 10 hit here. Uh, another one reached the top uh, in the teens, that was Dreaming, and then they had uh, three more uh, under the top 40. And in the UK, though, they had tons and tons of top 40 hits. They had at least six or seven go into the top 10 easily. So I'm shocked that people in Europe and the UK don't know OMD better than people here in the United States and Canada. But anyway, I digress. Uh, this is probably one of the best synth pop songs ever, so I'll just give you a little blast here of Anola Gang. Stay at home yesterday 
Gay from O&B from 1980. That song gets to number eight. It is oddly not their biggest hit in Britain. Uh, Souvenir uh, will go to three from the next album. Uh, Sailing on the Seven Seas in 1990-91 goes to number three. And I think they had one more song get to number three. But uh, And another couple of songs might have charted higher, but it ends up being their most widely known song uh, anywhere else in the world, uh, save for the United States, where If You Leave is the big hit. So anyway, there's an Ola Gay for you. Uh, it, it just is a, one of a, a string of massive hits for them in the UK. And then uh, we come up to, again, the problem we're having here is that in Britain, keyboards are getting to be a bit more accepted in pop music, not just progressive rock. Uh, it's helped along in both the United States and Europe, though, by a hit movie. And uh, a fella named Vangelis, I guess he's a, a, a Greek fella. He's not really a rock and roll star, but he d- composes a theme for Chariots of Fire. And I, I looked up the video for this. They used to show this video when I worked at Blockbuster, and it was basically just, just pulls from the movie. And I think you might have gotten a little glimpse of Vangelis, but it was mostly just pulls from the movie. And it's weird that you're using, at the time, 1980, when this movie comes out, 81, you're using contemporary synthesizers to score a movie that's about the 1920s but it's very cool because i like the 1920s and i like the 1980s so it works for me but the actual video for this song only uses a few pulls from the movie it's mostly vangelis playing uh, the grand piano backed with synthesizers and he's sitting there smoking a cigarette while he's playing the piano it's fantastic so anyway chariots of fire is it features an acoustic grand piano but also lots and lots of keyboards and it becomes a massive hit uh, both in the united states and europe and this is the song is actually called titles is the official name of the song it's better known as, as the theme from chariots of fire Vangelis, Chariots of Fire. So again, this is kind of getting people used to the idea of keyboards, sort of, but uh, people are a little uh, more picky in the United States. Our friends Kraftwerk from Germany, uh, having influenced all these bands, have a surprising lack of success outside of their native Germany. Uh, Autobahn is a hit here in the United States, goes to the end of the 20s, and that's about it. That's 1974. But Kraftwerk are one of those bands that they're like a much bigger influence on people than they are a band that has actual heads. Velvet Underground, another great example of that. People love the Velvet Underground as an influence. Yeah, I got a handful of good songs. And I even told this to Paul Humphreys from OMD. I said, you know, it just seems like 
Kraftworks is one of those bands that are very influential but don't have a lot of great songs. And he, big Kraftwerk fan, says, oh, I think Kraftwerk has a lot of great songs. Well, they managed to chart one in the UK by accident in 1981. They released a single called Computer World. The B-side is the model. And legend has it that the British uh, disc jockeys didn't know which side to play. So they played the side A, they played the side B, and then they decided, well, this we're going to play this song, which was the B-side called The Model. The Model becomes a big top 10 hit in Britain. Uh, oddly, I don't have that in my collection, so I'm going to play the A-side, which is Computer World, from the album of the same name. Influential Kraftwerk having a UK top 10 hit in 1981 with Computer World. Staying in 1981, uh, we come upon another band that kind of goes through a little uh, transformation. Uh, the band is called Ultravox. They are originally formed uh, and led by a fellow named John Fox. He leaves the group in 1980 to go on a solo career, which is not very successful. A fellow named Midjour, who was uh, in a couple of other bands prior to this, including uh, Glenn Matlock's band, I think they were called Rich Kids, maybe? is I, I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head, but he uh, is invited by uh, Billy Curry, who was in the band Ultravox, to join the band. And they kind of go in a more keyboardy direction uh, with their next releases, even though uh, you're as a guitar player by trade. They really keyboard it up, and they get themselves a number two song with Vienna. It is kept off the top of the chart by a song called What's the Matter You or I'll Shut Up You Face. I can't remember the guy that did it. It's a, it's a novelty record. Turns out the guy that uh, does this novelty record is from one town over from my hometown. And I told this to Midjour and he, he thought that was very funny And when he was on the show. Uh, look him up. He was on a couple of years ago. And uh, we had a great chat with Midge. Uh, this remains Ultravox's biggest hit. Although Midjour Solo had a number one hit with a song called If I Was in 1985, this is Ultravox's biggest hit, the very keyboardy Vienna. We walked in the cold air. Freezing breath on the window pane, lying and waiting. Dark in the picture frame, so mystic and so food. A voice reaching out and a piercing cry, it stays with you until 
So Vienna, a big hit for Ultravox. The hits keep coming and the keyboards keep coming because uh, we remember our friends, the Human League and Heaven 17. Okay, well, we're going to listen to them. Uh, we're going to have a band between them, though. So Human League, as I told you in an earlier episode, uh, kind of split in that... Uh, did Martin Ware and Ian Craig Marsh leave? They get very upset with Philoki. Disagreement with what direction the band should go in. Philoki keeps the Human League name. He is responsible for all of their debts and all that stuff. And I believe I read it, they had to pay a one percent royalty in perpetuity, kind of like the guy in Shark Tank always asks for uh, to use the name Human League. Then I read, you know, it was only for the for one album after those two guys left. So I don't know which is which. But anyway, Philoki recruits some new folks. Uh, he gets a couple of gals he sees dancing in a club uh, in Sheffield, where they're from, and they release a very influential album called Dare, uh, one of the biggest albums ever in the history of uh, synth pop for sure. Uh, they release a song called Sound of the Crowd. I think it goes to number eight. Uh, the massive hit from the album is actually the fourth single. It's called Don't You Want Me, which you've heard to death, so I'm not going to play it. But Don't You Want Me, almost not on the album, because Philoki didn't like it. And uh, almost not released as a single at all. And then here it becomes the number one hit in the UK and the United States and around the world. And again, it's one of those little, you know, uh, I guess odd occurrences in the chart at the time in the US where we get a song that's very keyboardy making it to the top of the chart. I'm going to play you the other big single from this album though. It's called Love Action. Love Action from Human League from the very fine Dare album. Now, uh, before we get to Heaven 17 and what they were up to when, when they finally completed their album, we're going to uh, jam you with some Soft Cell. Soft Cell, you may know, from a song called Tainted Love. It is a cover of a song written by Ed Cobb of a group called The Four Tops, I think it was. It's it's, a, it's called a Northern Soul hit. I don't know exactly what that term means. It was uh, done by the girlfriend of Mark Bolan. She had a big hit with it in the, the 70s, I guess it was. They decided to cover it just kind of on a whim. And Tainted Love, uh, at the time, I don't know if this is still true. I think this record has now been beaten, and I can't remember who just beat it. But it spent the most time in the chart of any song in the history of the U.S. Hot 100. It entered in 1981, and I think it was there, for, I, th I think it spent over a year in the Hot 100. And you, again, not going to play that one because you've heard it to death. Um, oh, a little trivia about Tainted Love. When they first released it, uh, you may hear some mixes to this day that mix it with Where Did Our Love Go, uh, the old uh, Supremes hit. So 
on the B side of the seven inch initially was Tainted Love and the B side was Where Did Our Love Go, which was a foolish move by Soft Cell's part because they only got a performance royalty from it. They did not get a songwriting royalty whenever that single sold, so they lost a lot of money. They later on corrected this, and a song of theirs called Memorabilia appears at the B side later, so they made a little bit of coin off of that, even though the big hit was the A side, which they didn't write. Uh, I guess they still made a lot of money, though, from it staying in, like I said, the Hot 100. And it was a pretty sizable hit in Britain, obviously, and, and of course around the world. And you know it to this day, which may lead people to believe that they are a one-hit wonder. But no, they had several other good songs. I'm going to play you a song of theirs from that same album, Non-Stop Erotic Cabaret. This song is called Say Hello, Wave Goodbye. Take your hands off me. I don't to you, you Say hello, wave goodbye. I uh, believe that's a top 10 hit in the UK. Soft Cell has an interesting story here. Like a lot of these bands, uh, Human League, Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark, uh, they don't have a lot of money when they're starting out. And Soft Cell certainly in that boat, but when they got the attention of uh, the, the fellow that was producing them, he had a very, very expensive keyboard, one that cost like in the tens of thousands of pounds or tens of thousands of dollars. And that's what's making most of the sounds on this album. They borrowed some other equipment. So they're able to make a pretty professional sounding record having no money and no equipment and having you know borrowed one from their producer. I b- believe they borrowed a, what's called a Sinclavier keyboard uh, is what they used to record this album. And like I said, it was just borrowed and then by the time I guess the album came out and became a hit, they were able to afford better equipment. All right, so that brings us to Heaven 17. Back to Sheffield we go. So uh, Martin Ware and Ian Craig Marsh have left Human League. They recruit a fellow named Glenn Gregory, who they originally wanted to be the singer in Human League before they uh, gave the job to Phil Oakey. And Glenn Gregory not available at the time, but it was available when Heaven 17 formed. And as the story goes... Uh, Once the two bands split, they used the same studio to record Dare and what Heaven 17's album would become known as Penthouse and Pavement. I believe, as the story goes, uh, Human League were using the studio during the daytime. Uh, Heaven 17, they had day jobs, as I told you before. They were computer operators. They had pretty decent paying jobs. Uh, and they used the studio at night, and Martin Ware explains that since Britannia never more motivated to make a good album. Unfortunately, uh, Human League kind of won that battle because Dare is a massive hit, and Penthouse and Pavement, it's an excellent album, by the way. I think artistically, those albums are pretty even, but Penthouse and Pavement commercially doesn't do as well. I like think they get a couple of top 20 songs off this, but they won't have a top 10 hit until the following album. But uh, this is a great tune. At this time, Gary Newman's already had a big hit. A lot of other keyboard-only songs are getting into the top 10. So Ware and Marsh and Gregory think, well, you know, that's, it's been done, so we can maybe do a thing where it's mostly keyboards. We can introduce more acoustic instruments into it, and you kind of get that with some of the songs on the album. Although this track, I think, is mostly all keyboards. This is the title track from Penthouse and Pavement. Thank you. 
House and Pavement have been 17, so we're going to head down south to London Town and uh, a couple of fellows from Basildon. Again, uh, not not a lot of money, but some of these scrimped and saved and have bought actual keyboards. They don't have these you know piles of junk as uh, Andy McCluskey described their uh, own equipment uh, back in the day. It's uh, Depeche Mode, and it's these three fellas, and uh, they originally started as a guitar band. The One of the guys in the band, Vince Clark, hears an OMD song in a dance club, hears electricity, and thinks, wow, this all electronic thing sounds really cool. The other huge advantage is, is that they can rehearse wearing headphones and they don't have to disturb anybody it would not look at the guitars where you have to have them you know going through the amplifier and being loud so Depeche Mode uh, they stumble upon a guy named Daniel Miller that we discussed in episode three uh, of the normal and uh, um, to Silicon Teens fame he decides to produce them and he has a lot of experience by this point with keyboards uh, they've never used sequencers before everything was played by hand uh, as is the case, by the way, with OMD, uh, I think for the first couple of albums. But Daniel Miller uh, has had some success as a record producer and a record label uh, owner and operator. Uh, so he's he has some equipment that the that Depeche Mode normally wouldn't have access to, including sequencers. And uh, they use that to create an album called Speak and Spell. They release a couple of singles from it, but this becomes the biggest hit. It's the third single, and it gets a little notice in the United States. I don't think it really bothers the charts here, but it is uh, certainly their best known early song it was um it uh, was a staple in the live set for years and years and then they decided to stop playing it because vince clark leaves the group after this album and then we get yazoo who we'll hear in the next episode uh just yes to us in the states and uh they decide at some point that they're going to not play songs anymore that vince wrote simply because martin gore becomes a songwriter and there's they have plenty of good songs they don't need to rely on Vince's songs anymore since then just can't get enough is now back in the rotation but anyway written by vince clark uh just can't get enough depeche mode
so those just can't get enough from Depeche Mode. Like I said, Vince Clark uh, immediately decides to leave the group because with all this technology, and he admits he's kind of a control freak, he's like, you know, I don't really need a whole band. He does need a singer, though, and we will get to what happens there uh, and what happens to, the, to Depeche Mode in episode five. But there's Depeche Mode, just can't get enough. Boy, what a tune. Finally, we arrive back in the United States. And again, like I had been mentioning all through this so far, American bands not really embracing keyboards to the point where they're using all keyboards. Again, Devo is using a lot of keyboards. The Cars are letting keyboards be at the forefront of their records. Uh, B-52s use a keyboard bass on their first album. In fact, um, I got to see it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum up there in Cleveland. It was uh, on loan to them. A little eight keyboard, eight uh, key keyboard doesn't even have the three-prong or what we call cannon jack in it. It's just got a little phono plug that goes into the mixing board. It's that primitive. But that's really the extent. And they do have a lot of electronic kind of sounding things on their records. Uh, but the early records for the B-52s, it's guitar, drum, bass with a little flavoring of electronics, which is what most bands in the U.S. are doing. So we will hear more from uh, the U.S. bands in episode five, though, because it's really not until 82, 83 that we start hearing uh, more electronic bands start to appear in the U.S. Save for one, uh, a couple of guys from California move to New York, meet a third guy and from a band called Our Daughter's Wedding. And uh, they have a minor hit called Lawn Chairs, which people liken a lot to OMD's messages. I don't actually hear that, but uh, I will give this a little blast here for you. This is uh, Our Daughter's Wedding, Lawn Chairs. Chairs from our daughter's wedding. Turns out they have a, they make, I think, one or two albums, but this is their biggest widely known hit. They actually wind up touring with OMD here in the United States. They go to England and hang out with OMD and actually become mates with them, uh, have some success over in Britain, but by 1985, they're done. And I think one of the guys now is a music teacher somewhere. And uh, yeah, that's, but they're really the only real keyboard band in the United States at the time that are really almost entirely electronic. Now, for next week, 
I think there's, uh, with episodes five and six, a lot going on in Britain as we move through the 80s. But then in the United States, we have some bands start to appear that are using electronics or predominantly electronics. So I may split the episodes into two. Maybe we'll concentrate on the U.S. Uh, in episode five and the U.K. in episode six. Or maybe we'll just go back and forth and break it across episodes five and six. TBD, as they say. But in the meantime, we're going to get to a kind of a keyboardy group. They're from Canada. And I was looking through Freegal, as I want to do. And uh, that's the free music service you can get from your local library, kids. Uh, just look up, go to freegold.com, and then I should make them a sponsor. I really should. I plug these guys all the time. And type in your library's name, and it'll tell you if you have it. Most big libraries have it. We have it here in Cincinnati. I know the Cleveland Library has it. My hometown library has it, Mentor, Ohio. So anyway, um, I was going through just to see if they had anything, and most of their catalog is in there, Wild Strawberries. You may know them from the mid-90s. They had a song called I Don't Want to Think About It. It was in a movie called Foxfire, not the one with the two old people. Uh, Hume Cronin, I think, is in that Foxfire. This Foxfire is with Hetty Burris off of Boston Commons, the sitcom, and Angelina Jolie is in Foxfire, the newer Foxfire. Anyway, they had a song in that movie, I Don't Want to Think About It. Uh, top 10 hit in Canada. I think it might have gotten to number two. I think it did bother the charts here in the United States. At least was on the uh, modern rock chart for sure. Not even their best song from that album. The album was called Heroin. The title track Heroin is fantastic. But anyway, the story behind these guys, it's a husband and wife. The dude is a proper doctor and he never wanted to be a professional musician. Uh, he just wanted this to be a side project. Even as they had that big hit in Canada, he was like, yeah, no thanks. Kind of like Dr. Ken off of The Masked Singer. Um, boy, what a horrible show that is, by the way. Let's get a show and we'll get one guy that people love, Dr. Ken, and a bunch of people that people hate <laughs> to be the judges on this show. And we'll see how that goes. Anyway, so uh, the, the, the dude in Wild Strawberries is the Dr. Ken of Canadian music. He c maintains his medical practice to this day, does Wild Strawberries on the side. They just released some songs last year. And this is one of them. It is called Breakdown, and it's our song of the week on PF Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 